Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Um, good to see you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I like you. It's really good to see you twice. I like it. Um, okay, so let's do this. Let's give a, um, a brief uh, rundown recap of last week before I read it again. Okay, I just want to hear kind of in your own words what happened in the beginning of chapter 10. All right, in Acts. We've been going through Acts for a long time now. I don't even know how long. We're 10 chapters in, which feels successful <laughs> since it's only been a year or something. But as we're, as we're going through it, though, we're kind of parked here in verses 1 through 35 for a little bit. Well, this will be our last week in it. But I kind of want to hear from y'all, what was last week? What kind of happened? So someone start. You don't have to tell the whole story. You can just do a brief window. For those of you who weren't here last week, you don't have to answer anything. Good for you. So the uh, uh, centurion yes. gets a uh, vision to go um, go talk to Peter. Right. And then Peter gets a vision himself about uh, net coming down, about cleaning unclean animals. And God tells him to kill and eat. This is like three times. Uh, tells God no. Pass. And then. Uh, That's a good Realizing, and then in the vision, you know, God says He's going to send three men to him. Um, kind of comes out of the vision, goes downstairs. There's three men there, so they go go with you guys, and uh, that's the centurion on the coast. They go to Jerusalem, just outside. I think. Just outside. I think. So, we'll look. We'll read it again, and you will know. <laughs> Does that sound right? Anything else anyone wants to add? That's pretty good. That's strong. Anybody want to add anything about it? From last week? Mark let you off the hook, I guess, everyone? Is that uh, what you're saying? I guess the uh, kind of where you ended up last week was about um, that uh, Peter went to dine with the, or be in the same house as the centurion, who's not a Jew, and his interpretation of the vision about the clean and unclean animals was related to um, God making the Gentiles clean. Right. Because what's this? What's the phrase that in Peter's vision gets said back to him? Do not call. Don't call common which I have called, or that I have made clean. Close. That's same pretty much. So don't call common what I have made clean. All right. Don't call common what I have made clean. So the deal is, and you're exactly right. Peter is kind of over and over again saying, no, no, I can't do that. That's unclean. Whatever, whatever is being offered to me, we don't eat that. I don't partake in that. I don't associate with that, right? And then God tells him, no, don't, don't think something is common if I make it clean. If I make something so, you enjoy it, all right? If I say to go do something, if I say this is the way I live Jesus, and this is the way that this is the way the kingdom works. You go enjoy the way the kingdom works. Take all your preconceived notions of religion. Take all your traditions, and you do what I ask you to do. If I make something clean, go enjoy it. Go enjoy its cleanness. Right? It's kind of this idea. So let's go. We'll read it again. Oh, that was an excellent recap. Well played, Mark. So turn to Acts ten. It's going to be on the board, I think, too. Or is that a board screen? It's not really a screen. Wall. It's on the wall. That's what that's called. Thank you, guys. You said that very graciously to me. 
Um, okay, so I'm going to read it again. It's long, but I'll read the whole thing, and then we'll go from there. Caitlin. At Caesarea, that's where they were. Yeah. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what is known as the Italian, the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Remember last week we talked about what devoutness seemed to be. So this description of devoutness, and this isn't probably, I'm not trying to be overly simplistic about devoutness, but devoutness in this passage seems to say he feared God, he gave to the poor, and then what else? It said three things. He was a continually praying man, right? That's, that's what made him devout. That's what they explained as devoutness. So anyway, um, about the ninth hour, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa to bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called his two servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on his housetop around the sixth hour, that's noonish, um, around noon to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, saw the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet descending, bringing down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Okay, a real stop in my head uh, this morning when I was thinking about this passage again and just now when I read it. This really ridiculous thought that's not probably even going to be funny, but I, it like, almost makes me grin when I think about it. If the sheet comes down, it would have been more appropriate for Peter to be like, I don't like those things. <laughs> like, I don't want to eat that. Not, no, I can't do it, but like, I don't like dove. Or, anyway, frog legs are terrible. Whatever, that's just, I don't know why that keeps coming in my head as something like I would be like, I don't really, I don't really eat that because I don't think it's tasty. Can we do the steak instead? Yeah, yeah. Like, are you testing me? Yes, and I haven't ever. Since I was young, I have not eaten such things. I agree. It's not like... Yes. It, it almost seems like as it could have been relayed as a test to him. Like, are you going to eat these? No, I would never. Not even once. <laughs> not even if no one's looking. I would not have done that. Not even one time. So anyway, it comes down. The sheet descends. Here's a voice to him saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had, been, that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made an inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Simon was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, Three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one who you are looking for. What's the reason you're coming? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, an upright 
and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what he has to say, to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in as his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them. Some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and all of his close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down to his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many people gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that what that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why do you send for me? And Cornelius said four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and he said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth, and he said, Truly, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So there's obviously a lot here. It's obviously a long story, right? And last week we, we did discuss kind of this idea of um, oh, again, in an overly simplistic way in one 20 minute, 30 minute stretch on what kind of this idea of clean and unclean would mean to Peter and kind of how that came about kind of Jesus' argument about clean and unclean. Remember we talked about this, this story where the, um, the Pharisees get angry because Jesus' disciples don't wash their hands correctly before they eat, right? And so they're talking about, ah, look how unclean they are. They're eating with these unwashed, these ceremonial unwashed hands. And he says, no, it's not what comes into your body that makes you unclean, but rather what comes out through your mouth, through your hands is what makes you unclean, right? So we have this, we have this background a little, and we have this story, but what does this say to us? What, what, is, what are we trying to learn about Jesus? What are we trying to learn about the kingdom through this story? And there, there's so many things, obviously, but I just want to discuss a few because, and I'm being, I'm going to be overly, not overly, I'm going to be as transparent as I can on this and say, this is, I'm, I'm trying to express where I feel like I struggle in this passage. And when we, we talk about things like don't show partiality, right? We talk about things like the kingdom of heaven at hand is for everyone, you know? everyone. We like to think of ourselves, probably because we live in Austin, Texas, probably because we want to see ourselves as good Christian people, partly because, you know, we've hopefully heard it and heard it and heard it. But we show partiality. We do. And we are, we are the people that need to hear this. We are the, the people that think they are good enough and continue either in a system or in our person to show partiality every day, sometimes strongly, right? And so I just want to talk about a few things that I feel like I'm just in there with and I'm trying to get out of. I feel like 
For example, okay, a quick example. This story happens to Peter, and it's beautiful, right? It's great. He goes to the centurion's house. He's obviously not partial or racist or holding grudges in any way, is he? He went to a centurion's house. Do you know what happens just a few years later in the early church? They're having, they're having uh, communion, and they're having this service that's real special, and all these foreigners are there, and they, they, all these people of different um, economic classes and different races and colors of people. And do you know what happens? Peter begins to overly welcome and give more food to these leaders who are Jewish, who can like make him feel good about himself because they're in charge and they are important. They're important by his cultural standard. And so he starts talking with them and he starts ignoring people that want his attention. And he starts, he starts making this, the, the way communion was celebrated and the way things were celebrated to be kind of first come, first serve. And if you have the good seat, you get to decide how it goes. And it starts to become a power play. And you see church politic kind of start to happen. And Paul walks into the room and loses his mind in front of everybody. Peter's trying to be real important for the important people. And Paul gets in his face in front of all these people. And he says, how dare you? You think you're okay because you went to a centurion's house once? Oh, no, sir. You are showing partiality. You think you're all right because one time you did something nice for someone who didn't look like you? Change your ways. Change your mind. You must not know what partiality is, Peter. Because partiality, in the depth of it, I think is selfish. I think it's for us. It's to feel the, the best, make your kid have the one-up on everybody else, or I want to feel the whatever. I want more money than someone else. It's not just we want money, we want more than everybody else. That's what partiality does to us. It ruins us in here. And not long after this, Peter still doesn't understand what partiality fully is. And I I know that I don't either. I know that I don't either. I think it shows up to me a lot of times with, so we're reading uh, with Asher and Tovin both. I I keep saying Asher like Tovin doesn't read. Sometimes he just doesn't care. So sometimes I don't read to Tovin. But reading to them, and Tovin doesn't really care to read. He cares about the letters lately, which is fine. It's fine. But he's like second child in it on that. He doesn't care. And we don't make him care. You know, we're like, whatever. You know, sound off the word or don't. It's fine. You know, we're in the car. And we're talking about, what's your favorite word that starts with B? And Tobin's like, lion. <laughs> and we're like, that's good. And Asher's like, but I don't, I don't think lion. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. The lion, you know, it's fine. It's totally fine. Anyway, so we're reading to Asher. And Asher likes wanting to kind of read too. And we geek out on that. I want him to read. You know? That's great. Reading is super important. It's, it's obviously great for him to read. That's not wrong. But you know what it starts to be in my head, to be really honest with you? It starts to be that I want him to be the first kid to read in his class. It does. It starts to be, hmm, can the other kids in his class read? Really? Kind of to check and make sure we're not behind, but it's not. That's a lie. It's so we can win. It's the truth. It's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. Until the way I look at the kid that doesn't read. He lost. That kid lost to my son. That sucks, man. Nick's be like, 
makes me embarrassed because I'm telling him, like, this is what you can do with your life. You can make people feel really important. And you can make them feel special with your life. You get to do that, son. And then I'm going to try to make sure another kid loses, though. So he gets to make them feel special and important. And someone needs to just get in my face and say, you are partial. You're partial to winning and losing. Oh, it's your son, so it's okay for you to want him to be the winner. So it's fine. It's America. It's fine. Yeah, make your son the winner. Get him the best opportunity. Until I read Isaiah, when it says, don't forget about your own flesh. The other kid is your flesh as well. That son is your son. So help him read. Don't not let your son read, you know. But go to that one. Make sure he doesn't lose. Make sure there's no winner and loser. Make sure Paul in Galatians is right when he says, no, when we put on Jesus, there is no Phoenician, there is no Greek, there is no Jew, there is no slave, there is no free. Christ is in us and over us, all in all, and all in all in all. Make that real in the world, Austin Evers. Make it real in the world. That not just Noah, I am also proud of. Because I know Noah. And it's, it's shameful how we forget we are partial. It's shameful. It's, it's shameful that we forget we are partial in our politics. From both sides. It is shameful. And we can joke about it and we can laugh about, oh, look at our world, it's us and them. But we're the same. We do the same. And so we, we bend the rules to be right-er. <laughs> we, we bend things to be more correcter than the other person or to make whatever someone else says sound bad. And I'm not trying to just get into politics. It's a mess and we could talk about it for 74 days and probably we wouldn't get anything done either on it, you know, to be honest. But it's like, but I'm serious. Do I want, do I want to go into... So a centurion, part of what they were known for, I'm going to get back around to the thing, part of what they were known for um, is not just being, uh, managing people well. This guy is well respected. Probably the reason they're explaining how well respected he is is probably because they're all not, right? A centurion could walk up to its law and say, carry this for me and carry all his stuff. It's like you're a freshman at football practice or something. Like, but they would really do that and say, I need you to carry this. Legally, you had to go, what's about a mile-ish. You would have to go about a mile with their stuff. Legally, that's what you were required to do. At the time, if you wanted to, you could be like, there, and drop it. Like, yeah, and they'd find someone else. Find some other poor sap to carry their stuff, right? Well, they also conquered you. <laughs> we, we can't forget that he's still a general in the army that conquered them that is in control, that tells them how they can use their holy place, that occupies it, that can go into their holy place if he feels like it and desecrate it with his presence. He can do any of those things. He can also kill their Jesus very blatantly and enjoy it and have fun with it and do it in a torturous way. And they did not long before this. So this is not just, oh, a centurion who's a Gentile and so he's unclean. This is also an enemy in the largest way of saying the enemy. This is 
the foe that conquered you, culturally, religiously, militarily, you want to conquer them back. Remember the disciples? That was what they thought Jesus was going to do. Remember, I'm going around about this so long, but they thought Jesus was going to like end the Roman Empire and the occupation, meaning the centurions, right? So in doing that, he's the enemy in a fact that they wanted not long before to kill him and to end them. And so then he's going to go to his house and be there, right? Do we want our enemies to receive the kingdom from our mouths and our hands? Because I don't think we do. I don't think we do. I think we want prisoners in prison, felons, X this, whatever you want to put in there, murder, whatever, whatever X something or former something you want to put in as far as our justice system. I think we want someone else to do what Jesus said and go to prison and preach to them. I think that's the truth. And I think it's the truth because I don't do it. To be really honest. Jesus says, you know how I know good news is coming? You remember when he starts to explain the kingdom of heaven at hand? What is one of the things about the kingdom of heaven that was in hand? Prisoners were hearing good news preached to them. Do you remember? People in solitary were having good news spoke to them. And our partiality is that our enemies, I'm just saying they're not our enemies for the love, but someone we feel of as in that way, we want someone else to do it. We do. Politically the same. Your political enemy, you want someone else to go speak the kingdom of that hand to them. Whether it be whether your enemy is Nancy Pelosi or your enemy is Greg Abbott. Whatever the enemy would be for you, you want someone else to do it. I want someone else to do it. I mean, the guy that, just being real open, the guy that calls all Asians Orientals when he's talking to my wife, I want someone else to preach good news to him. (laughs) Being real open. The one that the one is more verbally bigoted than me, I want someone else to talk to that guy. Our enemies, we don't really, I don't sometimes really want to go and see. I want to see them change from someone else working on it and spending their time on it. You know? And in that way, I show partiality doesn't further me it doesn't you know it takes me away from my family it does all these things to me to like have to i don't know man would we go to the centurion's house really we give peter a hard time because they have these two visions and it goes there and he was like directed to we're like well it's easier because he was told by god to do it right that's funny that Jesus told us all kinds of things to do. <laughs> that we read and interpret and then we say to do them. Right? I'm telling you to do them. I've, luckily, because I've driven by it, that's the only way I know where one of the prisons are near Austin. That's shameful. It's embarrassing to say that to y'all. It's embarrassing. When one of the things about the kingdom of heaven at hand is that those in prison are being preached to, the good news. 
And, and then we have this other, these other two things, just other two ways that I feel like I'm, man, this idea of, and I want to be not grandiose about it, but this idea of the kingdom being brought to other cultures of people. And, and that one's been hard for the church throughout history because we ruined it pretty quick and said, they're, they're going to ruin it in like five minutes if you keep reading. They're going to try to. You know, they already try to ruin this whole no partiality thing by when Peter comes back, and we'll read it next week, and you're going to talk about it. I'm sorry, I'm going to ruin some of it for you. But when Peter comes back, they're like, you went to a Gentile's house? And he's like, yes, I did. Like, you went to a centurion Gentile's house? What is wrong with you? And now you're with us. Did you clean yourself? Did you, you know, did you go through the steps so that now I don't have to do the steps of uncleanliness and waste my week and do all these things? Like, what did you just do? And he's like, no, no, no. The Holy Spirit was there. It was awesome. The Holy Spirit fell on them. They were speaking in tongues. They were doing all these things. It, it was crazy, fellas. It happened. So they're like, oh, wow. Greeks had the good news. And they start debating, like, maybe we should make them be Jews. So quickly. And, and Peter's like, no, I don't think I said any of that. That wasn't in the vision. When the, the animals were on there, they didn't talk about that. Like, what do you mean? And they're like, no, they should probably have to circumcise themselves and everything. And people are like, yeah, yeah, they should. <laughs> I'm starting to get the voice I use of the parrot in that book. Yeah, see, make them, get, make them be circumcised, see? I don't know why I'm doing that. It was, it was starting to come out slowly, and I was like, oh, no, we're going to get there if I don't just do it on purpose and then get it over with. Like, oh, my Lord. Because I was going to go down a bad trail and all of a sudden be talking like a mobster. So, but yes, they start doing that. That's what, like a real argument real soon, real soon in the church. They're like, that's fine. They can be Christians. I love how we act like that. Yeah, that's fine. They can be Christians, I guess. It's our business to be like, fair, we'll validate your Christianity by calling you one. That sounds great, you know? But, let's make them be Jews. And we've done that forever, right? Go set up a school to teach a community about Jesus and then make them speak English at the school so they can hear Jesus. It's like hard to translate things or something the other way, I guess. (laughs) Or we... We say, no, 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 that's fair. But also, this cultural thing you do, I don't really like it. It kind of makes me nervous because it's pagan-ish because I just don't understand it. So you can't keep it. Get rid of it. It was important to you, I understand, but get rid of it. I mean, we're going to do like Easter and Christmas and all that, but you can't do those things. Those, your pagan things, can't do them. So get them out of here. We've done it forever, right? I'm not accusing you of doing that. I'm just saying we've, we've done that. Church, church has done that thing. They've messed up our partiality. And they're like, no, we're going to the culture. We're preaching to them good news. We're giving them things that we think they need, right? But it's still that idea of now I can choose what to give you or not give you. That's the idea. It's this, oh, we're up here with our Christianity or our culture or our nationality or our race or whatever it is. And so I'm going to go towards and down to this other nation that just doesn't have as nice a cell phone service. And so their people apparently aren't. Do you know what I mean? Like that's in our heads. It is hard to get out of that because that is what we've seen and heard and has been the model and has been the culture and has been sadly what's ruined relationships in the world with, with Christianity alike, right? But the beautiful thing is that doesn't mean we should not go. 
that doesn't mean that we should say, oh, because it's been done poorly, we shouldn't do it anymore because we don't know a better way. No, we should find a better way. We should find a better way and make sure that people that don't look or talk or act or think like you have the kingdom of heaven at hand to them from you. We should go join what God is doing in other places and other countries. We don't talk about this enough, but some of you surely at times in your life have, held, have had this like burn for that or something. This like deep down confusing angst to be with a certain group of people talking to them about Jesus who is at hand. And some of you may have done it, right? For like a week, two weeks, or a summer, you know? Or some of you have like kind of quieted it with your life, just with now your obligations, or your mortgage, or your changes that have happened, or the confusion of it. You've kind of quieted it. Not in a sinful way. I don't mean you've disobeyed. I mean, you've quieted that burn, right? And I think as we see the church discover that fire, that like intensity of needing to do that, of like the desperation of that and the excitement and the fulfillment of that, I think some of us need to notice it. And we might need to say, oh no, God has made that clean. Just because we've ruined it in the past doesn't mean I should call it common. Maybe I should call it clean and I should go and be a part of that story. I mean, and this is to me, this is not at you, to me. People that did that in scripture, they had kids too. They were young even. Like, they, they did. They had kids and mortgages and everything. They like had stuff to do. They weren't just bored so they could just leave easier. You know, they had life. And they said, no, in the vein of Abraham, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go be a blessing. I think that's best. And I know we say over and over, where we are is where we are sent. Some of you are about to have to be another where you are. That's not it. Some of you are... Yes, you know what I'm saying. My language is having a hard time. And then this other one. This other one that has kind of cut me. And again, I'm telling you because... It's cutting me. It's this idea that God doesn't show partiality. This idea that the centurion could have the kingdom of heaven at hand and he could be a part of its mouthpiece to his people. And to Jewish people, apparently. He was devout because of how good he was to Jewish people and how good he was to Greek people and how good he was to all people. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering our language and our thought and our views because I'm worried about my... Um, I'm trying to find a way to explain it. I'm not just embarrassed of it. So I'm, I'm wondering my real view on, on leadership at our church and what leadership looks like, on if it's really elder-led and it's really women and men led and if it's really young and not young led and I'm wondering that because it still feels special to me and like unique and lift my nose in the air a little bit 
that, of course, Holly speaks here. Look at us. Instead of it being normal, and for Karen to share and that not be normal, I'm like proud that we had a we had. Of course, we think women have the same right to speak as women. Look, we're doing it. Look, we showed you three times, and it's still a thing in my head. That's sad. I don't like it. I don't like that it feels like. You know what I mean? I'm trying to... I like want my sons to grow up in a place where that's not a thing. Where it's not like cool. And ooh, look, it's unique and different. Isn't that exciting? To where it's not unique and different and exciting in that way. To where it's exciting because yes, there's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male, female, or anything else when someone's standing here talking about the kingdom of heaven at hand. They're a wonderful Jesus indwelt human being that is speaking about the kingdom of heaven at hand so we should listen and enjoy it and learn and be better because of it and I want myself to to think that and for it not to be something I'm making myself think does that make sense to what I'm saying that's it's bothering me it's bothering me since Mother's Day it's bothering me that I was like you know just I don't know it's bothering me my partiality to be honest I'm still used to the one speaking to everyone, being a, a someone who looks like me. And I don't, I don't know what to do with that. I think we're trying to do it, you know, but I don't know what to do with me in that. Because I want it. You know, I want that to be the norm in me too, not just our kids in there. And here and here and here. You know? So I don't, I just, I don't want us to think, all this is to say, and I'm rambling now, all this is to say, I don't want us to think we don't have partiality. Bottom line. I don't want us to think that because we have a Mother's Day service, we're good. So we're not. I don't want us to think because we say we love all kids that we do but there's not a hierarchy in our love for them because there probably is and do you know what we need to do about that we need to repent and change our ways we need to change our mind we need to as scripture says learn to do what is good we need to be taught we need to learn how to do right I need to learn learn and so I'm telling you we are committed to learning we are going to be we're going to enjoy acts and we're going to enjoy how it's going to blow up our partialities and make them very obvious to us it's going to show us that yes we want some kids to be winners and we want some to lose it's going to show us where to repent it's going to show us that it's just a theory to us that people in prison should be taught the good news and we're going to show it to us. And we're as a body, as an us, we're going to learn to repent of that. And we're going to do all we can. We're going to. So let's pray. And then we'll have communion and go from there. God, we, we ask you to help us. 
And I ask you, please forgive me. Be gracious to us. Have mercy on us for our arrogance. Have mercy on us for our hypocrisy. Have mercy on us for our apathy of our sin, our apathy of our partiality. Remind us that you change your people. Remind us that you're not joking when you say that when you see us, you see your son. And we can get there. We can be the people you're dreaming for us to become. And so please help us.